The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so we'll get started. Welcome to the fourth class on cultivating the Brahma Viharas. We'll be talking about equanimity today. But before we get there, I'd like to um, check in about how it went last week. Last week was a the teachings, the practice was about appreciative joy, sympathetic joy, feeling happy when others are happy, rejoicing when other people have joy. And then at the um, end of the session last week, I also did some gratitude practice. Sometimes gratitude is a way that can help fill us uh, fill us up, having a feeling of um, enoughness, having a feeling of... Um, Things are sufficient, as opposed to not enoughness, and um, and some might say that a pre- practicing a sympathetic joy, appreciative joy for oneself, is like practicing gratitude. So I just offer that as a tiny little uh, summary of what we did last week, and I'd love to hear from you guys. How was it? And even if you didn't formally practice, maybe you know for yourself, what, what is it like to practice either A, gratitude, or B, to be happy when others are happy? I'm confident somebody has something to say. Great, thank you. Um, on the uh, uh, you, one of the the advice uh, bits of advice you've come back to a few times is to start where it's easiest. So, um, in the practice of being happy when others are happy, I tend to start with my children. Because that's very easy. Um, and so a couple of good things happened this week for them. And, you know, I sort of do what actually, frankly, is not that <laughs> difficult for me to do anyway, but I did it maybe a little bit more mindfully this time than I would typically do it, which is to feel happy with them for that. And then I was trying to expand it to, you know, a broader circle than just my own family. Um, and I was actually sort of noticing how rarely uh, my colleagues, and I think myself included, will express something that's going well for us. Um, <laughs> I think maybe because there's a certain sense of, well, first of all, everybody, uh, it's, just the, uh, it's much easier to complain. And it's much easier to sort of bond around complaining. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if someone were to say, oh, this wonderful thing happened, it would, I think, frequently be judged, maybe not even entirely wrongly, as this person's bragging. Um, and so sort of alienate people uh, and introduce a level of competition, I think, into whatever the meeting is. So it's much easier to sort of you know, talk about gr- mutual gripes or individual gripes or what have you. The reason this came to my attention was because I was sort of on the lookout for things at work where I could sort of feel happy. 
happy for someone else at work, but no one was saying anything that was good that was going on in their life. Um, probably myself included. Um, and I'd never really uh, noticed before just how, uh, how typical that situation is. Yeah, this idea of bonding through mutual outrage is a kind of a common, it's so common. And it may seem innocent enough, right? This is often what's happening around the water cooler. But it sows the seeds of discontent and kind of like inflames any dissatisfaction we already have and just kind of highlights all the bad things and it's perfectly natural there's probably an evolutionary reason to why we tend to pay more attention to those things that are negative than positive but it also i don't think we should think that it's completely innocent in terms of um, how it affects our mood or our mind state or something like this so there what, what about um I mean, there's like people saying good things. Usually, the I can uh, remember in those days when I was uh, spending time in corporate America that um, we would all like when somebody came back from vacation and were showing pictures. That often was a time, right, when we could say, "Oh, that's so beautiful." So maybe that's that's one time. <laughs> Or when their kids graduate or get married or something like this. But maybe we can find other things to get work done on time. To leave at a reasonable hour when you, if you're used to working late or to get to work on time. If you're used to showing up late or so maybe we have to look at some of these more modest, simple things to be happy about. But thank you. I appreciate very much your uh, your observation that sometimes we don't even notice, right, how we're doing this. We're just responding through mutual outrage. Uh, Kim Allen, I heard her say that, and I recognized it immediately. I've done my share of that, too. Anybody else want to share something? I'm I'm finding this um, really challenging um, because I'm, what I'm I mean the first the day after maybe the day of when we did this you know I thought okay all right I'll just work on this this has been bothering me for a long time and I couldn't believe when I I mean I did the loving kindness you know doing all the intro stuff was fine but when I got to I'm happy that you're happy. I had a really strong physical reaction to that. And I thought, oh my gosh. I mean, it was just like the words felt, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it was so powerful and so surprising that I, I just backed off. I, you know, I, I knew I couldn't do it for this person. And so that made me realize how deeply ingrained this not being able to be happy for somebody else is. I I thought I was doing fine. You know, I'm really getting better at this. But it was a really... So then what I did was then, I don't know what I did. I think I I reverted to self-compassion for me. I did something to kind of like... 
ameliorate that. It was really a powerful physical reaction. So I, I, I guess I took care of myself. And then after that, I went to easier things or more impersonal things. But it, it wasn't any easier. It didn't. I didn't get that strong physical reaction, but it was like I couldn't get to the place of really feeling happy. And so um, I guess what I'm doing now is kind of like chipping away (laughs) at it because I don't know what else to do. I do want to... I do want to get to the point where I can just... Freely, I mean, with with ordinary stuff, it's easy, you know, like my kids or spontaneous. I mean, that is easy. But when I go to places where I know that inability or that reaction of <clears throat> is there, that that is the challenging part. The ordinary day to day feeling happy for other people is really very mild, very easy. So um, so what I'm doing now is chipping away at the difficult people. I guess there aren't difficult people here, but I guess there are. Uh, so I do all the foundational stuff, and then I set them all up, you know, the, <laughs> the one I like, the indifferent one. And then they're all in the room with me. And then when I go to the difficult person, that's the one that I choose to do the appreciative joy for. And so um, the... I don't know what word to attach to it. It's not indifference. It's not hardness of heart. It's just like an inability, an inability to be happy for what they have. And so so what I found was I finally got to the point where one of my difficult people that's been in place for a long time, I went first to compassion for her. I went first to that. And... and and, you know, it just, the thoughts of, gosh, she has had a lot of problems in her life. And she, I mean, it was just like, she deserves it, all that kind of stuff. So then it wasn't, it is now not as difficult nice. to to be happy that she's happy. Nice. You know, yeah. so, but it's a heck of a lot of work. Yeah. This is this is a practice, right? I'm glad you and, keep repeating that oh, because yeah. you know it's like okay, I got this. No, <laughs> no, I don't. So thank you for that reminder. Yeah, and typically how this would be uh, taught, right? If we we're just meeting for an hour and a half once a week, but typically how this would be taught is maybe you would do some loving kindness for the easy person, and you would stay there for days, hours, weeks, months oh. until you're just. It's just oozing out of you. And then it can't help, but when you go yeah. to the next person yourself yeah. or something like this, then whoosh, there it goes. And maybe you just notice there's some little corner and then you just hang out there maybe for days, weeks, yeah. months, years, yeah. and then move on. 
I mean, we have this tendency. We want to like, okay, this is some medicine. I'm just going to salve. I'm going to put it on here and fix this problem. No, we're training our hearts. We're training our minds. It's more like flowers that are growing. And we're just putting the seeds. And sometimes we forget to water them. Sometimes we do water them. But classically, this would take a lot of time. Many, many, many hours. I'm thinking that a part of it for me... It's not that I want instant results. It's that for some reason, something I heard or something, I got the idea that loving kindness was not as important as the silent meditation of watching your breath and stuff, that this was just like a a prelude to the really important ones. And so I keep thinking, you know, I should be done with this and get on with (laughs) the important ones. I don't know where, but that is, that really is a stop for me. I have to keep reminding myself, it's okay if I do this all the time. It's okay. Yes, it is okay. I taught um, a class on the Metta Sutta on Saturday, and I it's part three where I talk about this very thing. Where is loving kindness practice in the whole schema of finding freedom and complete peace? Yeah. Loving kindness practice will take you maybe 90% of the way, Yay. which is pretty far, right? Yeah. And then what happens by that time when you are, the mind is settled, the heart is open, and you're just abiding in this goodwill then it's so much easier for wisdom to arise. And it's the wisdom that does the last little okay. bit of work to get you free. Okay. So we're helped create the conditions in which wisdom can arise. And we're learning why we're doing this too, right? So we're gaining wisdom. Yeah. We're learning like, yeah. wow, this, uh, this feeling of loving kindness, this feeling of um, happiness for other people, it comes and it goes. Yeah. I can't control it as much as I thought yeah. I could. That alone, just yeah. hanging out with that. Yeah can be a ticket to freedom. I think the encouraging part is that I'm finding that I get little insights. And before I would have said, oh, yeah, that's good. But now I say, no, no, pay attention to this. So I write it down. And it's like they're really valuable little, I mean, teeny little tidbits that then open up to, wow, wow, this is really important to notice this because then it opens up the door for other things like like the thought of doing compassion for her first i that would never have occurred to me but it was just a little teeny and so i thought okay i'll follow this i'll follow this um so anyway, thank you, and I'm yeah. sorry I couldn't come Saturday, but I'll certainly listen to it. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's, I have to apologize for not coming, but if you do want to listen, I... I, I yeah, yeah, I it's on. It's on, I, yeah. I think it's in part three. I can't remember now exactly. Maybe yeah. it's in part four, but to you, you'll have to... Yeah, yeah, because just hearing all that stuff, just I have to drill it. It has to be like constant. Maybe it's in part two. Yeah, but you're right, so... Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's Maybe we'll move on to equanimity a little bit here. But maybe before we go on, Mary, I'll just um, inquire about if you have a gratitude practice. I do. Okay. I do. That one's easy. Okay. That one's easy. So allow yourself to hang out in some gratitude. Gratitude. And just feel gratitude. And maybe you don't do sympathetic joy, appreciative joy practice for a while until this gratitude is oozing out of you. Okay. Until you feel like, wow. Okay. Well, while so you can feel like all the blessings that yeah. you are in your life, yeah. and, and we're not pretending like difficult things don't happen; they do happen. But we're just 
cultivating the sense of gratitude for what we do have. And that can like fill us up and then we don't feel that's easier to be happy for other people's happiness when we ourselves are feeling full. Yes. I just have all these funny notions about these meditations like, you know, need to include everything every time and one's important and one's not. I I don't know where I got them, but they're there and I have (laughs) (laughs) you know. So thank you. (laughs) You're, You're welcome. You're welcome. So daily now, part of my like trying to be happy and do something for myself yeah. is I go to the park every day, a nice park around here. And I find that to be like being around nature and just sitting there and being in the sun and walking around. Everyone there is like there's little kids, there's moms with the kids. Everyone there is happy, so it puts, makes you happy. And you're not thinking about negative things. And I really feel different the days that I don't go, so I try going there every day. Nice. And today I took my dog for the first time, and he was happy. And we're in the sun, and we're just so happy there. Yeah. Like, and just being outside and getting fresh air. and Yes. Then you start just thinking about everything good. I, nothing bad, nothing I thought of, nothing. Every, I loved everything. I loved every, you know, everything around me was great. That sometimes helps, is where the environment you're in can help you. Yeah, I would say, when I, and part of my graduate practice very often is the gratitude for the parks and the good weather, right? Yeah. We're so lucky to live here where it's so beautiful so often, right? We're, you know, myself, I feel quite fortunate. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. No, no, we're good. I love hearing these success stories or difficulties, whatever. So, is this on? I'm not sure if it's on. So, um, it made it very top of mind after last week. And I noticed that um, if someone was joyful, if I tried to connect with their emotional state and stay with it, um, that was helpful for me to stay happier for them or feel the joy that they were having versus I kind of did it like where you come back to the breath. I was like, come back to how they're feeling because otherwise I was going either comparing or saying, did I do that or why aren't I getting that? And if I could just go, let me stay with how it, it made me notice how frequently as somebody was communicating with me I was like in Mm -hmm. some other place than Mm -hmm. actually where they were so it let me appreciate it more but then also what was noticeable is people doing what I do to other people to me like if I'm saying something positive you see the connection for a minute and then they're not there with you either. So I think we feel it both ways, or they, or someone will just start giving an example. Oh, yes, when I blah, 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 and it kind of saps away whatever your experience was. So I was kind of noticing how I do it and trying to come back and sort of noticing my reaction to other people in that same regard. So I think because it was top of mind, it was very noticeable for me this nice. last week. Nice. And so did, did it, uh, was it a lot of effort to stay connected to people's happiness or was it more just setting the intention, I'm just going to come back? So it, it depends. I would, I gravitate to what you said. Like with my kids, I don't have that conversation. You know, my daughter's riding a horse. I'm like, yeah, she's loving that, you know, and I don't have to think about it. Um, and so I think it depends on the gradation of the person 
um, my relationship to the person, or also things that maybe I want for myself that maybe I don't have if I'm yeah. doing a comparison. Yeah. So it dependent on that kind of yeah. altered my how much I had to keep bringing myself back. But I liked starting to use the idea of, like in meditation when I drift, saying, go back to the breath. I kept going, you know, go back to the person, look them in the, look at them, <laughs> you know, or feel what they're feeling a little bit more. Um, and I found it helpful. Actually, it was, it felt really good. It yeah. Felt, you know, it was a warm feeling versus a feeling where I might have felt, you know, I don't want to say contempt, like, I yeah. wish that was me. Yeah. I felt less of that when I was able to just connect with them and then move on. It didn't yeah. feel, um, yeah, I didn't have that hard feeling as much. I think you're pointing to something really important that if we can tap into other people's happiness, if we can feel happy when they're happy, then the opportunities for us to feel happy just goes up exponentially. Right? Maybe our life is what it is, but we can notice, oh, other people are happy, and if we can be happy for their happiness, then we can experience that ourselves. It's almost like when you're laughing with someone. Yes. Like that's the comparison I can make. Like when some, somebody does something or shares something and you laugh together, you don't feel like I think about, you know, why am I laughing? What's going on? But it's not as true with joy sometimes that you end up having discussions with yourself. And so when it was more emotionally connected, it felt more like laughing with somebody, which mm, nice. felt positive. Yeah. Often we can't help ourselves when yeah, we're laughing it with it. Happened. It just happens. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Susan. Mm. Oh, okay. We'll have one more over here if you want to. Here's a microphone if you want to. Uh, we'll make time. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, you can sit here. Okay. Um, I like uh, to practice uh, compassion, and um, I also practice uh, like tolerance, you know, tolerate people's uh, whatever. And like I'm you sorry, said, you practice what? Tor- tolerance. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I also have a feeling like, okay, if you're happy, I'm happy. You know, I'm happy, you are happy. But I realized that later on that uh, there is a timing, you know, uh, when you want to do something or you want to offer something to some people who need it. And uh, whatever you offer, maybe it's not at the right timing, not the time they want it. Or um, maybe when they accept your offer, you may give uh, the person uh, pressure or, um, uh, you know, they feel like they're forced to, to accept it or something like that. So I don't know if uh, other people has the same, same thing. Yeah, so what we're practicing here is a state of mind. Oh, it's yourself. And a cultivation of the heart. Oh. And actions may or may not flow from that. But here the emphasis is on what's in our minds and what's in our hearts. And just allowing that to be warm and open and spacious. Mm -hmm. And with that, allow uh, some wisdom to arise and some um, 
goodwill for whomever, as opposed to, you know, precisely doing particularly things. That's oh. not what the focus is here. Oh. I'm not saying that we, you don't do things, but the only thing that we can control, as you know, is ourselves. Right. So we're just cultivating, creating the conditions for ease and so goodwill. So that means you just practice yourself. So whatever, there are other people, whoever involved, is not a condition. Yeah, we're we're con- uh, we're cultivating states of mind. Yeah, your per- your yourself, yeah, right? Yeah. It doesn't involve other people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it may you- involve other people, right? And we use other people. We bring them to mind, and in our minds, we imagine mm. that we are sending them good wishes. Okay. But everything's happening here. Yes, but. Um, my question is, how do you cultivate your compassion, your love to people, if there is no object in front yeah. of you? Yeah, so you can do yourself, you can do other people. It's, uh-huh. You can bring them to mind. Oh. You bring them to mind. Just in yeah. your, in your yeah. mind. Yeah. Okay, I, I will try that. Okay. Okay, so today's topic, we're going to talk about equanimity. So equanimity is this balanced, open, warm mind and heart. It's an evenness, it's a composure that allows us to be kind of upright and not pushed around in the midst of things and whatever's happening. For those of you who are familiar with kind of the Buddhist teachings, there's this idea of the middle way, right? We don't do anything from either of these extremes. In the same way, balance is kind of like the middle way. It's uh, this in the, um, an uprightness in the middle. And this um, equanimity has this balance of mind that's rooted in insight or rooted in truth. So whereas the other three Brahma-viharas, loving-kindness, compassion, appreciative joy are based on um, having goodwill, warmth, care for all beings. This is about, so it's about a love of all beings, including oneself. Equanimity is about a love for the truth, about a love for what is actually happening, a love for the reality of the moment. This is what wisdom is. Right? So much about wisdom is about seeing things clearly. So this equanimity, I'm saying it's about a love for the truth, a love for what's happening, but in a clear way, in a balanced way, not in a way in which we're wearing rose-colored glasses or we are wearing foggy, dark, murky glasses. So equanimity arises when we can see clearly what is actually happening and we're still willing to have our heart be open. We're still willing to have our heart be warm and soft. We're still willing to be connected to what's happening. And in this way, so equanimity provides a really broad foundation for our well-being. This idea of seeing clearly, 
with staying in balance, not being pushed around, and with our hearts being warm and open and engaged. But of course, if we all were experiencing equanimity, we wouldn't be suffering. We wouldn't have difficulties. And it's the nature of um, human experience that things come and go. Things that we wish come and go, things that we don't wish for come and go. These um, praise and blame. Sometimes we're praised, sometimes we're blamed. Sometimes we have pain, sometimes we have pleasure. Sometimes we have fame and sometimes we have disrepute. So our reputation sometimes is good, maybe sometimes it gets tarnished. So equanimity is being able to have some stableness even though all this is happening for ourselves and for everybody else. So part of the Brahma Viharas, right, with uh, appreciative joy, we're noticing the positive side of all the myriad of things that happen to all of us. With um, compassion, we're noticing the unfortunate side of all the things that happen for everyone. And with equanimity, we're realizing that both happen. We're not focusing on one or the other. We're just realizing that both happen. The good, the bad, the fortunate, the unfortunate. And yet we're able to still have our heart be open. Not turn away. Not hold on to. Not push away. But to have some steadiness in the midst of all that. This is not an easy practice. This is one that we can cultivate in all kinds of different ways. I'll be talking about it here in a Brahma Vihara context, but it's also um, in the Buddhist teachings towards awakening, towards freedom. There's the seven factors of awakening. I'm not going to go into all the, those, but the last factor, the one that's most uh, that's happening before awakening, is equanimity. So it's a, an oper- it's it's like a, it's a gem of Buddhist practice. It's all our practice can help us to have this unsentimental, this unjaded view of how things really are, and be okay. Not maybe maybe being okay is too mild. How things really are, and just to sense and feel and see it in an open-hearted way open-hearted. And so some of the other Brahma Vaharas kind of help us practice of when can we open the heart and and to notice when we're closing the heart. In this way, the other Brahma Vihara practices really can support um, the growth of equanimity. And a a little bit later um, today, I'll talk about how equanimity can really help the other Brahma Viharas. So I just want to say for a minute what equanimity is not. It's not an aloofness. It's not a withdrawal. It's not a denial. It's not a coldness. Aloofness or kind of a withdrawal is born out of fear or aversion. They may be subtle, but that's kind of the root of them. Equanimity is born out of a love, an understanding and a trust. 
Equanimity is not dull. It's not heartless. It's not frigid. It's it's a beauty that is due to a, like a fullness of understanding, a warmth of understanding. It's it's not a it's the has this immovability, this unshakability, that it's not due to being a dead, cold, big stone, but instead it's a highest strength is its um, is this warmth and malleability and openness. So if you do find yourself kind of uh, wanting to practice with equanimity and practicing with it and find yourself kind of slipping into this withdrawal or this aloofness or disconnection from what's happening, you can just gently inquire, is there a little bit of aversion here? Is there a little bit of fear here? Just be a gentle inquiry. And that can um, maybe point out where you've kind of like lost the connection with what's happening and maybe have gone into a story about what's happening. Alternatively, or in addition, you can make a little bit more effort to connect with whatever the object is that you're using to help um, cultivate equanimity. Sometimes we may slide off the object and be lost in thoughts about it. This is natural. This happens to everybody. And then not even really notice that we've kind of slid off the object and instead we're, you know, we kind of think it's that we're um, cultivating equanimity for the object and haven't really noticed that we're having thoughts of fear or aversion. So, um, equanimity naturally grows with our meditation practice, whatever meditation practice you're doing, whether you're doing mindfulness or whether you're doing Brahma Vihara. Because part of equanimity grows out of the greater familiarity we have when we start to just notice like, oh yeah, sometimes it's hard to do loving kindness under these conditions, conditions X, conditions Y. Or we notice that, oh, I'm doing loving kindness for that person and I don't like them anymore. We start to notice like, oh yeah, there are things I can control and things I can't control. So equanimity just naturally grows the more experience we have with meditation practice and the more we're learning from both kind of the what's controllable, what's not controllable, how things actually are, what are the conditions that cause other things to happen. And as we start to understand in kind of a deep way that there are so many situations we can't control, it can also be systematically cultivated, just like we have been doing with the other Brahma Viharas. And, and when we do this um, systematic cultivation, there's a number of ways we can do it, including whether we want to emphasize balance, even-mindedness, steadiness, or whether we want to emphasize kind of a love of the truth, the reality of what's actually happening. You can choose either of those. You can combine them, maybe sometimes in your practice, maybe sometimes in your life. One of those makes more sense, is more accessible than another I'll say that um, equanimity has a different uh, tone, a different feeling than the other Brahma Viharas. Whereas the other Brahma Viharas are definitely a warm-hearted feeling. 
Equanimity is a warm-hearted feeling coupled with the, something of the mind to some wisdom. So maybe it has a little bit different feeling. It's, um, it's more about, I would say maybe for, for me, it's um, a little bit more about an uprightness, a sense of balance, being like in alignment, being in harmony. And that's like the, the good feeling that comes from that. Instead of these very subtle ways we're often leaning forward or these subtle ways in which we're leaning back or to the right or to the left or something, either literally in our posture or figuratively in the way our mind is going. So equanimity is like having a warm, open heart and having kind of an uprightness, this balance, a steadiness about it. And in this way, we can use the body to support you for uh, equanimity practice, just as you can with all practices. There's um, an emphasis of ease and relaxation and openness. But if you're a person that sits up in the chair or sits on the floor, it can really um, help to kind of bring uh, your awareness to just a sense of uprightness and balance as a way to kind of support equanimity. For those of you who have um, been coming to Happy Hour, you know that I often do a little bit of equanimity practice after doing some loving-kindness practice as a way to counteract or maybe as a little bit of an antidote, so to speak, of any leaning forward we may be doing. I really want this person to be happy. I really want myself to be happy. And there may be some, just a little bit out of balance. That's perfectly fine way to practice equanimity. But we can also do it just as as its own practice. And just as I've been emphasizing with all the other Brahma Viharas, we can talk about um, starting where it's easiest. That's often with a neutral person. Somebody that we may not know. Maybe somebody that um, you see at the grocery store or the mail carrier, maybe somebody in this room that you don't have a a strong evaluation about or maybe you don't even know them at all. We start where it's neutral. And we can, um, as I said, we can either emphasize kind of like uh, balance or truth. Truth being kind of... uh, seen things as they really are or maybe seen the conditionality of things. So for today, I'm just like scanning through my mind, what, what, what are we going to do right now? I'll figure, I'll, this, this will become clear to me in the next three minutes as I start us off on this guided meditation. So I'll offer some phrases with um, equanimity, like the other um, um, Brahma Viharas. We bring to mind somebody, in this case we'll bring to mind a neutral person. And then to support our intention of cultivating a sense of balance, of ease, uprightness, and an open heart, we, we say these phrases. And we'll say this phrase, I wish you happiness, but cannot 
make your choices for you. So this builds on a sense of loving kindness. This idea of I wish you happiness is building on a foundation of loving kindness. Maybe we'll start there. So start by taking alert, upright posture. Or if it's more comfortable for you, you're welcome to lie down as well. Is there a way that you can lie down and that um, expresses some uprightness, so to speak, that expresses some... your intentionality for being balanced. We'll start with three long, slow, deep breaths. Using the breath to connect to ourselves, to our experience, to the present moment. support a sense of ease and openness and relaxation we can do a gentle body scan are there some areas at the top of the head there might be some tightness or tension the eyes the face Not the shoulders. Allowing the shoulder blades to move down the back. Checking in with the upper back and the lower back. The chest and the belly. Feeling the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body, feeling grounded. You're here now. The legs and the feet, another place where we can feel grounded. the arms and the hands. We'll do just a short amount of mindfulness of breathing, bringing your attention to the sensations of breathing, the movement of the abdomen, movement of the chest. Maybe the feeling of air going in and out of the nose.
we find ourselves lost in thought, just very simply, gently return to the sensations of breathing. Can we be with these sensations in an open-hearted, upright way? I'm going to start us off with a little bit of loving-kindness. Bring to mind somebody for whom it's easy to feel love, care, warmth. You might visualize them, have a sense of them. You can feel into your body if there's a feeling of an interior smile somehow. Maybe a softness in the heart. And to support our intention of cultivating loving kindness for this person, or if it's not so clear of a person, that's easy, you can do kittens, babies, or puppies. support our intention, we repeat these phrases silently in your mind. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy.
May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Allow yourself to feel any sense of well-being or warmth or open-heartedness, even if it's just a small part of your experience. Perhaps by bringing your attention to it, it grows. There may not be a corner of your experience that's feeling settled, but if there is, Can you allow it to grow? Allow it to get as big as it would like. So building on this foundation of loving kindness for a lovable being Can we now wish some loving kindness for a neutral person, a person we don't know, we don't have a relationship with, we don't have a strong evaluation about? Bring that person to mind. may be difficult. No need to struggle with that. Just... Maybe you could say their name, or if you don't know their name, the description, the person that I see at the checkout counter regularly, something like this, the person sitting to my left, whatever it might be. We'll do a little bit of loving kindness for them. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. And then to build on this loving kindness for a neutral person. Do some equanimity practice. To support a sense of even-mindedness, a balanced heart. 
can repeat this phrase. I wish you happiness, but I cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness, but I cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness, but I cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness, but I cannot make your choices for you. See if there's been a little bit of a disconnection, a pulling back, a withdrawal, and an aloofness. Can you stay open-hearted, warm-hearted towards this person you don't know, you can't influence, in the sense that they have to make their own decisions? Can you reconnect with your intention of cultivating warm-heartedness, cultivating connection, cultivating uprightness, even-mindedness, balance? I wish you happiness but I cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness, but I cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness, but I cannot make your choices for you. And to end this meditation, feel the pressure of the chair, the cushion against your body. 
Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So for that meditation, I started us off with a little bit of mindfulness. Just uh, get in contact with what's actually happening in this moment to be like present with the, what's happening in this moment. And then to do some loving kindness to start where it's easiest to kind of like prime the prompt for some warmth and open-heartedness. And equanimity is kind of like the combination of these two, this being the reality with what's actually happening and an open heart. So in some ways we can use our, maybe, I, I don't know if we would, I don't know, we can just use those two ideas as a way of coming together as part of equanimity. It's not a disconnection. And it's not an oozy love that just loves everything. It's coupled with some wisdom and Um, being in contact with what's actually happening. So we did some um, mindfulness of breathing and then uh, loving kindness where it's easy and then over to a neutral person which may or may not be easy. It's often kind of a tendency to not be quite as open-hearted. And then some equanimity practices for a neutral person. I did all that in kind of a fast way when you're doing this on your own, you may feel like you need a little bit more time or maybe you feel like you want to just hang out in one or those other ones before you move on to equanimity for a neutral person. But I'd love to hear from you. How was that? What was that like? Um, was it easy to stay connected? Did you find yourself sliding off and, or did you find yourself kind of not feeling warm-hearted? Or how was, how was that experience? So equanimity practice, I introduce these phrases, I wish you happiness, but I cannot make your choices for you, which emphasizes more kind of like the, the balanced uh, staying, uh, two things. One, the wisdom of recognizing what we can control and what we can't control. And two, kind of the, the balanced feeling of rather than trying to make things happen, it's this recognition that, oh, I, there's, I can't make your choices you, you it's kind of to give others the autonomy to recognize that they are the stewards of their lives even though we care and support and love can we send a microphone back there So on that particular phrase, 
Yes. Um, you've, I've done it. You've offered that in the Wednesday evenings. And um, it's always resonated with me because the person I'm thinking about is someone I know better than someone as distant as you asked us to do today. And there, it was. it's always a relief when I say it because either there's an expectation from me to that person or that person to me that I should be intervening and creating that acceptance of the situation, wishing them well, but not having to do anything feels really good. There was a huge disconnect for me doing it with someone that I don't really know. So I picked the woman in the bakery who I know and say hello to every Sunday. <laughs> but I And I know she has a kid, but and we chat about that, but that's as much as I know her. Um, so wishing her happiness is great because I get baked goods for her every <laughs> Sunday morning. Um, and um, But then the, fra- the equanimity phrase, I would say it, and then I said, because honestly it's, it's inappropriate for me. So it felt, um, it, it didn't feel connected, and then I moved away from the happiness because I was like, I do wish her happiness, but I, I don't want to take it, like, she doesn't expect me to, nor do I want to, nor is it appropriate for me to intervene in that way. So, I don't know, I'm just wrestling with how to work with it in that different context than I've done before. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for saying this. This is why I was, like, struggling a little bit earlier, like, okay, how am I going to do this guided meditation? Because what, what you described earlier on Wednesday nights, I, we spend 25 minutes cultivating loving kindness, and so our hearts are a little bit, there's a little bit more kind of, like, leaning forward that might be happening, and we can And re- the person, and the, yeah, the person, sure. I don't think you've ever, we do it to someone that we don't, we do the loving kindness to someone we don't know yeah. very well. Yeah. But we usually do the equanimity to someone easy, <laughs> you know, because there's the other people <laughs> that are very difficult. But at least there's a, um, I, I feel like there are places where I would lean in or be expected to lean in with those individuals versus here. Yeah, so maybe the theory is is that it's easy with a neutral person because just as you said, that um, you know we, we don't intervene in their lives. But maybe where the difficulty is is with the connection, like is saying, "Well, I wish you happiness." Of course, so why wouldn't I wish you happiness? Maybe, but the, the equanimity phrases maybe feel, mm, yeah, maybe a little bit dry or. Uh, yeah. Yes. So there are some um, other phrases. So uh, here's one of them. Um, your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. So that we can get away from some of this uh, magical thinking that uh, just because we're wishing somebody can be happiness. But kind of like putting, uh, acknowledging that they have responsibility for their lives. Your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. So also um, some equanimity phrases can be is to maybe imagine 
complete imagination, this neutral person you don't know so well, that just like everybody in this room, just like all of us, they have ups and downs. And, and so to imagine that they have the, uh, or a whole range of experiences in their life, they have had, they will have, maybe they are um, currently, and to say something like, um, it is like this. This is how it is. And when we say it, is like this, the it part is whatever is being experienced for whatever they are experiencing, as well as kind of what we're experiencing towards them. It is like this. This is how it is. There's a way to kind of emphasize more the truth of the moment or what's really happening or something like this. So maybe those are some phrases that may be better in this case. Yeah, thank you. Does anybody else have some comments? Um, I'm not quite sure if I can put this uh, into words because I'm just sort of formulating it right now. But I also found it somewhat tricky uh, to do the equanimity practice with the sort of neutral person. I was thinking of someone I I sort of see every day, but I don't particularly know. and I think part of it <clears throat> for me is uh, I grew up in a in a big city, um, and you know, walking around the streets from a very young age, um, encountering uh, an awful lot of poverty and uh, distress, and I think there's a sense in which to be open-hearted around people I do not know. There's a tremendous risk there of actually the opposite of equanimity, of actually just being swept away by so much suffering. Um, And then I think there's another level at which I feel that if I were just to be able to master some technique of being equanimous while walking around amidst so much suffering that there's a kind of bad conscience I feel about that, that there's somehow uh, I've sort of learned to rise above it in some way. Mm. Um, and uh, sort of be comfortably open-hearted at the same time without losing my sense of composure and balance, uh, but somehow I'm not actually helping people. Mm. Um, I'm just sort of able to live with all of that misery quite Mm, with wisdom and 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 equanimity you know that that that's sort of and i think it's uh, i it's a it's a bit of a yeah it's a bit of a an obstacle for me around i think some of some of the practice yeah so this equanimity it's right it's it's perfectly reasonable what you're saying it's a natural thing to say yeah so equanimity is yeah it's a definitely it's a connection it's a warm heartedness that feels the misery feels the difficulty feels the happiness and because it still is can see things clearly and is committed to truth and wisdom wisdom being noticing that things happen through conditions we don't get to control everything things happen for reasons 
that then there's space and energy and maybe capacity to actually do more. So then if we don't uh, practice equanimity, because compassion, right, if we start to see all the suffering around the opposite is to feel like, oh my gosh, look at all this misery and to feel overwhelmed and to kind of like close our hearts because we want to feel compassion and we don't. Or maybe with loving kindness, we slip into some sentimental thing like, oh, isn't it all beautiful or something like this. So um, it's I, I understand what you're saying, but equanimity is more of a... It's a beautiful, beautiful quality. It's um, it's uh, it's a love. It's a type of love. Maybe I'll say that. It's a type of love. And describing it, it feels a little bit like withdrawn or separate or disconnected or aloof or something like this. But it's definitely a type of love that has the most wisdom associated with it and therefore can be the most effective and affecting change if that's what's needed and what one decides to do but equanimity also helps one to recognize uh, when they are on on a quixotic adventure when they are what is uh, appropriate use of one's energy how much energy does one have and time and things like this so the effectiveness of a person goes way up if they have some equanimity in terms of their effectiveness in terms of helping others helping themselves it's a type of love. It also is, as I said, it's kind of like a crown jewel of Buddhist practice. The reason why it's a kind of a crown jewel is it's a lot of practice to get there. Both mindfulness practice and loving kindness practices to get there. To be able to abide in this even-mindedness. Because often that's, you know, it's not... Uh, what's valued necessarily. Um, we kind of feel like some some drama of some sort, either misery or happiness is good and we tend to not notice, not value those kind of the times of balance and ease. But No, I think what you're, this is a, a reasonable comment that you're making and it makes sense to me. Maybe you could just uh, imagine that there is a type of balanced openness that's also a love yeah I feel that I know that balanced openness again I, I know it most intimately when I'm with my children I I, 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 I know that very maybe you can use that mic oh sorry yeah um, no I, I mean I feel I know that very concretely and yet it feels like there's a kind of level of intimacy and commitment in the context in which I know it where I suppose I don't feel this kind of pull of a bad conscience. Like, who am I to, you know, to be walking down the street feeling this generalized love for people and telling them that I can't help them with their problems? <laughs> you know, I mean, they didn't ask me for my help, and I don't know that I love them that much. So I, it feels there's a sort of disingenuousness yeah, yeah, about it yeah. that I maybe have a bit of a bad conscience with, whereas people who are in my intimate sphere, I feel that there is a great deal of genu- genuineness about it. Yeah, so yeah. maybe that's what I'm... Struggling yeah. with a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I know. That I, so maybe some other phrases, right? It's it can be maybe phrases like "it is like this." Mm-hmm. It just kind of emphasizes the what's actually happening, and helps us to kind of the truth of the moment, and from that um, allow some 
open-heartedness, maybe just start, maybe starting there. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Thank you. Uh, it felt really intellectual for me, and um, I, you know, there was a distance. There was. It just felt really up here, yeah. and I couldn't really make the connection. And then I started wondering. Well, then, okay, how would I, how would I work with this for myself? I mean, I'm the one that has to make the choices. So. Is there a way to develop, a, to do it for yourself? No? Of course. Of course. Okay. So, uh, Mary, uh, can, uh, how might you imagine a person would do it for themselves? Well, for me, I immediately get stuck in, oh my God, it's all up to me. Uh, the choices are so important. And what's the best choice? I mean, it gets very wordy for me when I think about saying, my happiness, I, I think I would do the, I would say your happiness in just talking to myself, but still, it's still up to me to create my own happiness. And if I say, it's up to you to make the choices yeah. to be happy, it's kind of a, a stumbling block for me. It kind of yeah. Okay, it's up to me. All right. Well, sometimes I do okay, and other times <laughs> I don't. You know. What What if something like this? I so this is the classic teachings. Okay. Um, the, the classic. I am the owner of my karma. So that is the you know results of actions. Is there another word to yeah. use? Because that word yeah. karma is still confusing okay. to me. I am the owner of my actions. My happiness and unhappiness depend upon my actions, not upon my wishes. That makes more sense. Yeah. So this idea of being the owner of karma, being the owner of one's actions, means that things cause, uh, everything has, arises for a reason, right? There's cause and effect. And so there's no idea that there isn't some external force there isn't something like fate or magic or something like this that's causing things to happen things happen according to cause and effect it's we don't also always know what the causes are but there's like you know conditions in place for creating happiness or unhappiness we know this right we we know that if we take care of ourselves we tend to have a better life so in the same way, we can just reflect on how that um, where the it's we can help create the conditions for our happiness, rather rather than just wishing and recognizing the importance of creating the conditions, like doing the actions. My happiness and unhappiness depends on my actions, not upon my wishes. If we behave in unethical ways, we harm other people. If we, then we fill our lives with regret and remorse. That's one type of life. If we cultivate generosity, compassion, love, mindfulness, we'll have a different type of life. 
that could work for other people too, though, right? Mm-hmm, of course. Of because course. Um, it doesn't make it so vague to me with those words or something. I don't know. There's something about the other ones, the other one that kind of keeps people out there or something. You the know? other ones, the, the, the I first wish you happiness, uh, but I cannot make your choices for you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That one sounds kind of punitive or something <laughs> to me. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Is this great? I love... I love how we have this range. In this, I love it, right? Humans, we... So... Um, on this, on the handout, I offer a number of different okay. phrases. So the one is, "You are the owner of your karma." If you want, you can subst- you can substitute actions. Yeah. You're the owner of your actions. Your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your actions, not upon my wishes. Yeah. It's kind of like a guidance or a, you know, an encouragement. Rather, the other one sounds like blame to me. <laughs> Yes. You know, it's really, it's funny, but it, there's a nuance to yeah, those yeah. words. And, and if, if I understood karma a little better, I mean, I would use that word, but it it's still kind of fuzzy. I mean, yeah, that's fine. That's cause and effect fine. is very clear. Okay. Karma cause is used in so many ways commercially and everything else that it just kind of like, uh, you know. So um, I wrote in the little handout here, I said, if you're comfortable and familiar with this wow. term of karma, if you're not, if it's yeah, yeah. this, then don't use it. There's no I mean, there's a lot of familiarity, but there's no depth to it. Because it's used everywhere in so many different ways. that It loses its meaning. It's kind of a, um, I don't know, it's kind of a, now it, for me it's kind of, what is the word I'm looking for? It's trite. Mm. It's trite because it's used in so many inappropriate ways. Mm. That for me, I, I don't even want, you know, okay. yeah. That's just me, though. So another phrase that I, um, I put on here is, so uh, maybe I'll say this. So I had us do loving kindness, and then to do this, I wish you happiness, kind of building on the loving kindness. We didn't spend a lot of time there. And as Susan said, it can be helpful to do this if we have been spending some time in loving kindness. And we, there may be a little bit of leaning forward when we may not have, have noticed it. In the same way with compassion practice, after we've done some compassion practice, we could do a a phrase, something like, I care about you, but cannot keep you from suffering. Suffering is part of the human condition. So that can be another way to kind of help us get into balance after doing some other Brahma Vihara practice. Or if we want to have this way where we're just emphasizing just the truth of the moment and staying balanced in the midst of it, we could say a phrase like, it's like this, this is how it is. So these are like a range, because there's different ways to practice with equanimity. All of us find it, find our way. I'm not sure the way that I led us through this guiding meditation was the best, but the, the invitation is to explore and find your way with this. And if it feels too complicated or too something or other, put it aside. Equanimity grows naturally, and there may come a place where you're starting to notice it a little bit more in your life and feel like, oh, I, I want to explore this. I want to um, cultivate this some more. So there's no um, requirement that we you know, start on this endeavor right now and figure this out. I, I, I guess I'm just wondering, um, 
uh, I'm thinking of equanimity as this like higher level of consciousness. Maybe I'm just adding too much to it. But but is it like when I am able to handle a diff- difficult situation and be calm about it and be kind in working with the other person and and kind of just waiting for the thing to within the context of the conversation. I'm thinking of handling problems with, uh, I don't know, Comcast or whatever, you know. (laughs) If I can stay calm and not get angry, not get impatient, not blame, is that equanimity? Sure, sounds like it. Does it feel like it? Well, you know, it's a big relief. I never added the equanimity part of it, but... It's a big relief to be able to work with difficult situations or surprise things that come at me. Like, okay, okay, you know, instead of getting all worried. and If I can just remind myself, okay, what's important here? Uh, be friendly, be kind, be patient. I just use all those words to remind myself how to behave. And if I can actually execute that behavior... It's pretty nice. It's pretty, you know, we end up kind of laughing and, you know, and, you know, I can interject like funny things. Oh, this is a comedy of errors. Can you believe this is, you know, I mean, and I feel very natural in it. And I feel really good, like I haven't injured that other person on the other end nice, on, in nice. front of me. Yeah. It, it's, it feels really nice. I, I, I think I faced the situation uh, and that's the way it is. We started out with that's the way it is, but then we found a way to... Perfect. You know, yes. so is that considered equanimity sure. or some kind sure. of elevated <laughs> thing? Sure, sure. Yeah? Yeah. Some even-mindedness, warm-heartedness. Yeah. Then I guess I have experienced it. I just haven't, I haven't given it that word because I... I uh, that word seems like it it requires a higher level of consciousness or something. I don't know. You know, does it, I know it's weird, but I have a really long way around to get to these things. <laughs> so I've been talking about how equanimity can be a little bit of an antidote to some of the other uh, Brahma Viharas. Is an antidote the right word? It's not, we don't need antidotes, but to help them to... Keep, keep them in balance. So equanimity can, like, it, let's say this, so just in the same way that equanimity can um, support and impact and the other Brahma Viharas, the other Brahma Viharas can work together and support each other. So equanimity guards love and compassion from being dissipated in these vain quests of trying to control things that we can't control. It guards love and compassion from going astray in these uncontrolled emotions, getting lost in emotions. Equanimity doesn't allow sympathetic joy, appreciative joy to rest content with just being happy. Forgetting the real aims of practice is to have a better life and to be able to have some balance and freedom in our life. Equanimity gives patience to love and it furnishes compassion with a type of courage and fearlessness. 
So loving kindness guards compassion against turning into partiality. Oh, I'm only going to have compassion for these people, not these other people. Cultivating this unbounded loving kindness helps guard against that. And this loving kindness gives to equanimity a selflessness, a warm-heartedness, an openness. Similarly, compassion prevents love and appreciative joy from forgetting that while both are enjoying or experiencing temporary happiness, compassion reminds them that there still exists suffering in the world. The truth of the world is that there's both happiness and suffering. And happiness can coexist with misery. Can we, there can be happiness in the world at the same time there's suffering. We can see that people have both. It's not just one or the other. Compassion doesn't allow love and appreciative joy to shut themselves up and <laughs> into the world and just being with these uh, feeling of um, happiness or warmth and just kind of walling themselves off from the rest of the world. Compassion allows this recognition and practice with the difficulties, kind of balances where um, loving kindness and appreciative joy may just want to be working with the positive things. And compassion also prevents love and appreciative joy from turning into states of self-satisfied complacency or some... Or maybe uh, kind of, as I said, kind of like the guarding against seeing anything else. If we have compassion, we can hold the suffering and we don't feel like we have to hold so tightly to any love or appreciative joy we may be experiencing. And the compassion also can guard equanimity from falling into this kind of cold indifference, uh, withdrawal and aloofness keeps equanimity from being selfish or isolated. Appreciative joy holds compassion back from being overwhelmed by the sight of all the misery and the suffering. Appreciative joy can help relieve the tensions of our mind, relieve the tensions in our bodies, and soothe some of the pain of the compassionate heart as we see some of the difficulties that are out there. Appreciative joy can balance compassion or support it from not falling into this melancholic brooding that doesn't have a purpose, that just kind of slips and we slide into this. And appreciative joy gives equanimity a mild serenity, a mild smoothness maybe. Or that um, there may uh, be like maybe a, um, a stern appearance to equanimity that can be softened with appreciative joy. So in this way, like we, all these Brahma Viharas support each other. We can practice with them together. Just like I did today, we started with loving kindness and then went into equanimity practice. You can use these as kind of ways to balance each other. Sympathetic joy can use this to balance the 
compassion, if we find ourselves focusing on the suffering a lot and getting weighed down and not feeling like we can bring love and warm-heartedness to it, maybe we can turn and do some appreciative joy practice. So it can be helpful to start with just one practice at a time, gain some familiarity with it, gain some... A feeling of uh, maybe familiarity is the right word. You don't have to be, have complete mastery over this, but a feeling, maybe some feeling of confidence, a certain amount of confidence. Like I said, you don't have to have complete mastery, but of the f- uh, certainly the first three: uh, loving kindness, compassion, and appreciative joy. And then maybe starting to mix them and use them to support one another and to support each other. And of course, we don't have to do this alone on the meditation cushion. We can do this in our daily life. We can practice using the phrases. We can notice when all four of these Brahma Viharas just naturally arise, whether we're talking to Comcast on the phone or whether we're dealing with our families or other the person at the bakery. <laughs> so the weather, and just notice when they are arising, just... It's, I think all of us know this or have this experience that that which we notice tends to be a little bit more easier to have access to and easier to arise in the mind. So in this way, Brahma Vihara's practice, whether it's on the cushion or in daily life, is a way in which we can have some intimacy with ourselves Intimacy with our experience, and an intimacy that's filled with warmth, filled with care, filled with respect, so that we don't find ourselves with our life just going through or passing us by, so that we don't go through hiding with fear or with sadness or just hiding. So often Brahma Vihara practice is um, coupled with mindfulness practice. doesn't have to be that way. I know people have spent years doing nothing but Brahma Vihara practice. It's a way that it opens your heart and opens your mind. You can explore combining them with mind, combining Brahma Vihara and mindfulness, doing them separately. We're so different. We share a lot, right? The kind of the human experience, and yet we all have our own ex- life experiences. So there isn't one size fits all for this. So it's three o two. I want to respect your time. So I'll stay here. If there's some questions or some comments, otherwise. I wish you, I would like to say what a pleasure it's been to be teaching this, come here and to share this exploration with you all. I've been emphasizing start where it's easy because all of us, I'm confident it will just naturally, it'll grow and we'll start finding it in other corners of our lives and other areas. But I wish all of you some ease, peace, happiness, and the greatest amount of freedom. Thank you.